Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And uh, first off, I want to welcome you back to the show. This is my first episode of 2019. I did 55 episodes last year, and then I took some time off, and now we're back. I got a whole full slate of episodes this year. We're ready to go. And our movie today, we are starting off with a very much underloved classic from 1983 called Mr. Mom, which uh, anybody who grew up in the 80s would know about. This was a very significant movie at the time. Not so well remembered today for several reasons, and we'll get into that. So I'm very excited to bring the legend of Michael Keaton back again, because uh, at one time he was maybe the biggest comedy star in the world. So I'm very excited to talk about this one. And my guest today, um, this is going to be a fun one. I have a very interesting pre-existing relationship with my co-host today. Her name is Leanne Lindsley. She is a therapist, a longtime reader of mine, and I, I'm dying to tell you how we know each other and the relationship we have, but first I will let her introduce herself. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm a Mario again. I'm very excited that I get it for uh, the East Coast, I would assume. Oh, you're Mario? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a oh, sorry. long-running joke on other podcasts that people from New York always say Mario because that's how you would pronounce it there. You're right. You're right. That's fine. I'll let you get away with the first one. Now, all right, all right. I'll, it'll be Mario from now on. <laughs> yeah. as, sorry. As horrible as I know that sounds to you. No, no, no. I get it. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do, and why you're on the show here today? Um, okay, who I am, I'm Liam Lindsley, as you said, um, I am a therapist, and I have worked with uh, people with substance abuse, my main thing is people with borderline personality disorder, um, I have done it for many years, I love it, I am on this show because I have been a longtime listener, reader, um, huge Survivor fan, and that's how I first got introduced to my friend Mario. <laughs> Very well done. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, here's the the interesting backstory you guys will appreciate, is that Leanne is a therapist. She's one of the only people I know who's like uh, clinically trained to diagnose mental illness and things like that. And I will say what's funny is that you might be surprised by this, but people who are on the Internet like me, and who have like a readership develop a lot of weird followers and almost stalker fans sometimes. And so when I get a t approached by one of these odd people who immediately throws off my radar, is this person something not right with them? I will immediately go to Leanne, my therapist here, and say, A, please diagnose this person for me, and B, tell me how to get the hell away from them. <laughs> so, so in a way, you're sort of my bodyguard, Leanne. You're my Ricky Linda. Cool. Glad, glad to be your bodyguard. Yeah. So yeah, anytime. Yeah, I don't want to uh, tell some stories. I don't want to do too many specifics, but I, it's always been fun in the background when I, in the past, when I'll go to Leanne with like, you know, I got an email from this person <laughs> who I'm pretty sure wants to have sex with my eye hole of my skull. Like, <laughs> a, how do I make them not do that? And b, how do I get them bored and go away? So that right. this is your gift here. <laughs> Right. And save all my pets. Yes. My pets. Please protect my pets. So. <laughs> there you go. I'm very safe here with my bodyguard. Yes. Always. <laughs> all right. So Leanne has been a, uh, we've planned to do an episode together for the longest time and we've been throwing out movies together. And I know one we wanted to do was Grizzly Man, which is mm -hmm. the Timmy Treadwell. Mm -hmm. And if people haven't seen that, that is a documentary you kind of have to see to believe. And a whole host of mental illnesses in that one. That one's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> All right. For sure. Yeah, but first we're going to start with an 80s classic. And I don't remember how we decided on this one. Do you remember how Mr. Mom came up as the one that would be perfect for us? Yes, I was watching it, and I had I had we had bantered about a few different suggestions. Grizzly Man was one of them, and then I wanted to do Hand That Rocks the Cradle, but you already had someone doing that. Mm -hmm. And I was watching Mr. Mom. It came on one day. I said, Hey, how about this one? I completely forgot, and that's that's how we did that. Okay, yeah, and that's an excellent way to describe it because that's pretty much what Mr. Mom is nowadays. The mm -hmm. movie that everyone just forgot. Right. So, do you right. have any theory? I'm here before we delve into this. I'm going to set this up. We have a lot of younger listeners here, but Mr. Mom was one of the biggest comedies of the '80s. I think it was mm -hmm. like the ninth biggest hit of 1983. That is absolutely correct. Yeah, and it was written by John Hughes. It's like the first John Hughes written screenplay, if I recall. Correct. Yes. Yeah, and it starred Michael Keaton, who was one of the biggest stars in the world at the time. And then I'd make mm -hmm. the argument we're going to go into this. I think he was a bigger star than Tom Hanks, like to the point that Hanks was getting roles that Keaton turned down. Well, Splash yeah, was Splash. one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So again, there's just this giant hit in the '80s that everybody would have known, and within 20 years, it was just no one talked about it anymore. And it was the weirdest thing because this would have been seen on a par with Ghostbusters at the time. Definitely. It definitely was. Um, what year did Ghostbusters come out? I think it was 1984. It was within, a, I mean, plus or minus 12 months of Mr. Mom. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Mom was 83. Um, so was Vacation. That was also John Hughes. And uh, Mr. Mom out, out produced or out whatever, made more money mm -hmm. than Vacation. Yeah. So again, this was probably better remembered. Yeah. Yeah. This was the bigger movie of the two. And then... Although I have a theory. Like, do you have any theories why Mr. Mom was kind of forgotten? I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Well, I so the first time I rewatched it, I didn't think it aged as well. Um, you know, it's supposed to be like this feminist movie, but it's really it's kind of sexist <laughs> when you watch it. And I think that's part of it. Uh -huh. I don't I don't think the trope aged as well. You know, Mr. Mom is not really a pot like no one wants to be called Mr. Mom nowadays. It's not a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Um, men were new to the workforce or new women were coming back to the workforce. Men were just starting to stay at home. So it kind of plugged into something that I don't think is that big of a deal any, any longer. I just think, I think it, it, it comes across as just a little bit dated and, and sexist. Yeah. I mean, I, I can agree with that. Although this is something that's come up on staff picks before that dated is one of those words that I just don't like. Yeah. I mean, I understand why it gets used, and I'm not, you know, putting you down for using it, because I hear it, everyone uses <laughs> this word all the time, but it's like, like, I Mr. Mom isn't meant to be judged by a 2019 criteria, it was made for a specific audience, so it's just one of these pet peeves I always have when people say movies are dated, because, like, it, yeah, it is by, by today's standards, but if you look at it in 80 standards, it absolutely makes perfect sense for what the world was like. Totally. It totally does. It, it captures it exactly. Um, well, what's your theory on why why um, it doesn't get the love that you think it should? I have always just had one theory on this, and that's Michael Keaton stopped doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. always been my theory, because, again, I go back to this will be fascinating to people who didn't grow up in the 80s. I, I know you right. grew up in the 80s just like I did. We're yes. pretty much the same uh -huh. age. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you get, again, Michael Keaton was like the big star, and then Tom Hanks was kind of the other guy getting the roles that Keaton didn't get. And I'll right. always argue... Like, it's, it's funny because, like, 
you watch these 80s comedies, these everything before Big and Forrest Gump, where Tom Hanks is like perfectly likable, and you want to hang right. out with this guy. But you watch Michael Keaton, and he was a star. I mean, that guy was a, was a star, star of a mm-hmm. movie. So, yeah, Michael Keaton was this biggest star, making all these hit after hit after hit in the 80s, and then he just stopped doing comedy with Batman. And True. he became a more yes. accomplished, acclaimed actor, but people kind of forget how funny he was. Right, right. So that's what yeah, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah. And unfortunately, that's um, we're, we're going to get into Mr. Mom into the plot here, but there's a couple things that I just really want people to appreciate about this movie. And again, I don't think this is the funniest movie ever made. In the 80s, generally, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Leanne, comedies tended to be more cute than like laugh-out-loud funny most of the time. Yes, true. So it's like a cute, charming movie, but there's two things in this movie that I really think it should be remembered for. And one is you get to see Michael Keaton at his absolute prime, at his peak. Mm-hmm. Where he'd no st- doubt. steal every scene he was in. And the other one is that the, the thing that's more forgotten about this movie is that you get to see Terry Garr, who is <laughs> one of my favorite actresses ever, and I've gushed about her before, how much of a crush I always had on her. You get to see mm-hmm. Terry Garr in one of her only starring roles as well. So it's like a neat little time capsule of a really neat part in history of comedy movies, I think. Absolutely, yep. And that they, they were two of the absolute comedy Kings and Queens, yeah. for sure. And, yeah, and it's funny because Terry Garr, I don't know if people know her the, nowadays, she very, very famous comedic actress in the 80s, ended up getting uh, multiple sclerosis in the 90s, mm-hmm. so she's been retired. But, like, she she was so charming in every movie she was in, but she was always, like, the wife or the supporting character, other than Young Frankenstein, but that's a whole different discussion. But she was always, like, right. the supportive wife. And then Mr. Mom was the first movie where she was, like, the star. Like, she actually had scenes where she was the major character. So it's just, again, I have talked about Terry Gar, how much of a crush I had on, on her <laughs> growing up. And I assume you did not have a crush on Terry Gar like I did. But I know, who was your crush growing up, Leanne? Rocky. 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 Rocky from one. Schlubby Rocky. <laughs> Leanne and I have talked about this before, and we're going to save this for a different podcast, but she grew, grew up worshiping Sylvester Stallone. To the, in Rocky One. Only in Rocky One, because why didn't you like him in Rocky Two? Well, because he, he was so stupid. Can I say retarded? You can say he retarded was... on staff picks, yes. <laughs> okay. He, he came across as retarded, not just charmingly um, dense or lunkish. But but due to your recommendation, I did rewatch it, and and I have grown to appreciate it much more. Okay. Um, but I love I loved him, and actually, there's some Rocky references in Mr. Mom. <laughs> yes. Okay, and we're going to save this. I think I've talked Leanne into doing a Rocky podcast with me because she's to the point that she loves Stallone so much that you had like an an intense (laughs) hatred for Talia Shire because you hated Adrian Stole Your Man, right? So much, so much, yeah. Hated him. And I I hate Adrian too, so it'll be fun. Okay, so we'll save that for Rocky. But so you had your your Sylvester Stallone crush, and I had my Terry Garr crush. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't even Mm -hmm. realize it as I was growing up until I got older, and I realized that every girl I ever had a crush on growing up was some variant of Terry Garr. (laughs) So, again, this movie is just really special to me because I get to see my my on-screen crush plus Michael Keaton, maybe the funniest, most charming comedian ever. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, very cute. Absolutely, absolutely one of the most charming. (laughs) Charismatic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have, let's see, three things I want to say about this before we delve into the plot here. Uh, the first one is that the supporting cast in this movie is killer. 
Uh-huh. And you kind of forget all these people are in this movie until you watch it again. Like, you got Jeffrey Tambor in there. Uh-huh. Jinx. Yes, Jinx. Then you have <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown, is in there for, of all people. Does he even have a line? <laughs> he chokes <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor, so I think he... Oh, right, right, right. Okay, good. Yes. That's about it. And he, he tries to throw himself out a window and get disability. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. And then you have Martin Mull, who was like this big yes. comedian at the time. And then you have Anne Gillian, one of the hottest women of the 80s in there. You got all yeah. sorts of fun side characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and here's a little bit of trivia that I want to share with people on this one. That I, I, I think you'll find this one interesting, Leanne. Okay. Like I said, I know Terry Garr, my, my dream girl growing up. I loved her on Letterman <laughs> interviews. I found her so charming and awesome. And I've read her book. I don't know if you've ever read her book, her autobiography. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. She talks in there that... Every single role she ever played in movies was a mom. She always played the harried housewife or like the stay-at-home mom. And she goes, it was the funniest thing because she was never a mom in real life. Like she's like her mom was like a stage manager, like someone in entertainment. And she grew up as a dancer. And she's like, I've never met a housewife in my life. I never had kids. I was never around kids. Yet for some reason, they always wanted me to play a mom, even though I had no maternal instincts whatsoever. So I just think it's funny when people think of Terry Garner, they think of moms in movies, and she's like, I had no idea what a mom did for real, in real life. I didn't do that. <laughs> right, right. So I thought that was yeah, funny. Yeah, she was a good mom. And then I have my uh, story, how I first heard of Mr. Mom. Okay. Okay, so I'm playing soccer. I, I'm in a soccer team, and I'm like nine years old in 1983, and these kids on my team are saying, have you seen this new movie, Mr. Mom? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't really watch movies. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't really into grown-up comedies yet. And they're like, there's this scene with a vacuum cleaner named Jaws where it chases the kids. Right. And they thought that was the <laughs> funniest thing they had ever seen. Like I, a bunch of 9- and 10-year-olds talking about a vacuum yeah. named Jaws. So <laughs> when you think of this movie, just think this is prime humor for 10-year-olds. 10-year-olds mm-hmm. thought this was the yeah. greatest movie ever. That's always my gauge. Yeah. If a 10-year-old boy would like it, it's for me. <laughs> Now, how did how did you first hear of Mr. Mom? I'm not I'm not going to touch that one. That joke at all, by the way. That ten- I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Right. That's for, that's for another podcast. Um, I I I don't remember how I first heard about it, but I saw it in the I saw it in the movie theater, and um, I don't remember what what was the movie that um. What was it, what was Michael Keaton in just before with um, with Henry Winkler? Um, Night Shift. I didn't see that, so I really didn't know Michael Keaton that much. Um, and I went to the movies with my with my girlfriend to see it, and I fell in love with him. Not not to the Rocky extent, okay, but good. I fell in love with him. Okay. Yeah. I was ask what Stallone said about that. Yeah. No. 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 Well, this was after Rocky <laughs> too, so he was already retarded, so he might not have said much. It was after Rocky three. Oh wow! So he was back yeah. to being normal again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Miraculous recovery. A little bit, but Adrian sucked worse. <laughs> yes. All right. So, so you saw this in the theater, okay? Yeah. So I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on VHS, and it's one of these movies that I rented all the time because it was PG and. Yeah. yeah. I, again, we couldn't see R-rated movies. Okay, so let's just lead people into history here. That yeah, Michael Keaton, okay. very well report, uh, very well acclaimed TV guy. He was like a TV actor, comedian, yes. side guy, and then he ended up in this movie in 1982 called Night Shift, which was supposed to be a vehicle for Henry Winkler. Mm-hmm. And not only did Henry right. Winkler get overshadowed by <laughs> Michael Keaton, he got overshadowed by Hel- by Shelley Long of all people. Yeah. So, 
Right. <laughs> so anyway, Michael Keaton became a big star for Night Shift, and this is his second movie, and this is the one he was his first starring role. Right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here we are. So this is a big moment for Michael Keaton, a big moment for Terry Garr, her first lead in the movie. Right. She had been in she had been in Young Frankenstein. She had been in Close Encounters, which I forgot. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh God. Wait, she was Oh God with John Denver. And then she won an uh, Oscar for Tootsie, but she was a supporting actress. Tootsie, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So again, just a neat little time time capsule in history here of Terry Garr and Michael Keaton finally getting their standout moment. And that's why the one thing I hope people take away from this podcast, like this isn't the funniest movie ever. It's not the greatest movie ever. But if you just like seeing really charming people at their peak, this is one that everyone should remember. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's very quotable, as we will get to. It is very quotable. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll get we'll get up to the two twenty two twenty one quote. That's the big one, but we'll we'll lead into yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Leanne, are you ready to delve into the world of the uh, the Butler family here? Absolutely, Jack and Carolyn. Okay, so to uh, refresh most people's memories, or to introduce young people to the movie, this is a story of a. A suburban couple named Jack and Carolyn Butler, played by Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. And they live in Detroit, of all people, which of all places, which is a really odd place to set a movie. Right, but that was all John Hughes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's all about basically just this normal suburban family, and you see a scene at the start of the movie where they wake up, and, and Jack goes off to work, and he works in like the auto auto industry, and Carolyn. You have your getting your getting ready montage. Yes, it's a very and it's a very realistic to the time. This is what mm-hmm. it would have looked like in the '80s. If people say this movie's dated, I'm like, well, that's pretty much what families look like in 1983. That's how it went. And let's see, yeah, Carolyn does all the work. She gets all, makes breakfast and makes Jack a shower and gets the kids ready. And there's like, what, two little kids, two brothers and a baby girl, three kids. What are their names again? I kind of forgot their names. Um, Kenny is the one who looks like Timmy Lupus with the Whoopi. Okay. Um, I forget. I, I don't remember the older one or the little girl right now. I think it's I Alex. Alex is the older Alex, boy. Yeah. yes. And then Megan is the little girl. So, Megan. And, Very good, yes. And like, they're all like, what? six years old five years old and like a baby mm-hmm. so like these are little kids and and so yeah it's just a normal suburban day and and jack goes off and gets ready for work and he goes off to the car industry and he goes with his co-workers and what do we got we got jeffrey tambor here uh christopher jo- lloyd yeah christopher lloyd and the other guy whoever the other guy is yeah and the other guy <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> now yeah they're random are you an arrested development fan Yes, okay. very much. So I can throw tambour jokes out here and you'll get them. That's good. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> okay. Always money in the banana stand. <laughs> yeah, so so they're all going to work at this auto plant, and, and I can think of no sadder place to work than the automotive industry in Detroit in, like, the 80s when they're starting to lay everybody oh, off. Right, Yeah. right. <laughs> so that's what's about to happen. Right, and that's the first Rocky mention when... when um, Michael Keaton or Jack is giving is giving the line workers the pep talk and like think about the Rocky movie and they're saying which one is it one or two or three which one which guy did he fight and he you know tries to give them the big Rocky pep talk I'd forgotten about that it was funny because Leanne and I were just talking about Rocky movies the other day and then I rewatched Mr. Mom for this podcast and there's like f- three Rocky mentions throughout the yes. whole movie and I'm like oh I see this is gonna be fun we can talk about how much we hate Adrian. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
So uh, Jack Butler is just, you know, trying to motivate all his employees at work. You know, we're going through a downturn. It's real bad here in Detroit, but we got to be like Rocky. You know, when Rocky's down, he just comes back up and fights. So it's, yeah, this whole little thing. And then, of course, Jack and his entire team get laid off in the next scene. Right. <laughs> and that's, mm-hmm. that's the end of Christopher Lloyd. We will not be seeing Doc Brown the rest of the movie. At all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who was responsible for laying Jack off? Jinx. Jinx, who is Jeffrey Tambor. So once yes. again, George Bluth is the worst possible boss. Person. <laughs> <laughs> he promised him a Always. Yeah, he promised him a promotion and then he reneged on it. So it's very much like what happened to Michael Bluth in the first episode of Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a lesson there. Never, ever have Jeffrey Tambor as a boss. Exactly. Or or if you're a female actor, don't work with him on a set. I think we learned yeah, that as well. Yeah, well, that too. That's another whole thing. <laughs> well, it's great because we got Arrested Development stuff going on all sort all throughout this movie. You got Jeffrey Tambor, and then we got Martin Mull later, who most Arrested Development fans know as, and I will give you the honor. Gene Parmesan. Gene Parmesan. And this is where I insert Lucille Bluth screaming. How are you doing? <laughs> Gene, isn't he the best? Gene was far from the best. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Yes. So so that's the start of the movie, and this sets up the entire rest of the plot, that Michael Keaton has been laid off, and he comes home, and the family's heard that he's been laid off, and the son offers him his whoopee, his little security blanket, uh-huh. which is a nice, cute uh-huh. moment. Oh, and the mom. And Carolyn has prepared a special dinner in honor of him being laid off. And what is the... KFC. 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 (laughs) Although she calls it the Colonel Chicken, so I'm not sure if maybe they couldn't legally say it. (laughs) We can't afford that. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, this is when the KFC was the ultimate in dining out luxury back in 83. (laughs) Right. Then the whole family's all lined up like a little Christmas card when he walks in. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so this is where the plot of the movie will be driven, that Jack has been laid off. He There's no prospects for job in the automotive industry anytime soon, so he talks to Carolyn, and she's like, well, what if I go back to work? And he's like, you? How would you? You're Terry Garr. You don't work. You're a housewife. And she's like, but I have an advertising degree, or like I have experience. I have a college degree. Like I can get a job. And so it kind of goes into this role reversal, which... As to speaking in the part that you said is maybe seen as sexist now, but at the time that would have mm-hmm. been high comedy. The wife goes to work and the husband stays home. Right, and hijinks ensue. <laughs> <Hijinks>. <laughs> Not only do hijinks ensue, but gambling ensues because he bets her a hundred to yeah, one. Yeah, hundred dollars. <laughs> it's a good. It's a. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and only because you get mm-hmm. to see Terry Gar and Michael Keaton. I think just improvising. Yes, they're just kind of bickering, and she's shooting him these looks and. Someone who would have a crush on her would say they're very adorable looks she's shooting him. Yeah. <laughs> she is adorable. No doubt. Adorkable, perhaps. Adorkable. Yes. Which is even better. Yes. So who wins the bet, Leanne? Who gets the job first? Well, she does. What? A woman going into the job? Does. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so why don't you... Uh, so what happens here? She she gets the job, and, and she's going to work in some advertising campaign, and, and she she has to go over a list. That's the first part of this movie where you kind of get into the comedy tropes of the gender switch. Like, she goes over the list, and this is all the things that Jack has to do when he's home with the kids. Right, right. Yeah, she goes she goes through the list, and it's yeah, the tells of the kids. When, she, when Megan rubs her ears, it's time for the nap. It's, the, you know, all of those different things. And he's all, I got it, I got it, I got it. Now... 
Uh, do you want to talk more about the list? Sure, please go into the list. Because I'm curious, were you ever like a housewife with little kids? Are you familiar with the things like the lists and the tells? So not not as much. I mean, I I was widowed when my son was really, really young. So I was a, I was a single mom and I always worked. So it was a different kind of situation, but I know those types of people, the list people, you know, and so at, at 10 o'clock, this has to happen. And that, you know, you pack the lunch and you, you do this and you do that. That was not my experience, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of people like that. Was that yours? Oh, yes, it was. I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my wife, when we had kids, she stayed home with the kids for the first 12 years and I went out and mm-hmm. worked. So this movie very much speaks to our dynamic. And that if there were days when Diana had to go do something or run errands and I was home with the kids, I would get the list. And I'm like, this is exhausting. (laughs) There's no way I'll figure any of this stuff out. This is a whole different world for me. And I was absolutely inept and had no interest in any of this. So I I totally get this. I've seen the list. Yes. Okay, cool. (laughs) Did you screw up the drop-off? I never screwed up the drop-off, but I did accidentally leave my son at our laser tag party once. I really hope he doesn't listen to this, by the way. (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. All right. So let's get to the first thing on the list here, the drop-off at school, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie and one of the most quotable scenes in the movie. So why don't you explain to our listeners the drop-off scene? Well, you know, south to drop-off, north to pick up. So um, Jack does it wrong. And the kids are all saying, you know, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. He's going in the other way. And then the, the, the crossing guard says, you're doing it wrong. I tell all my new mommies south to drop off, north to pick up. And it's, and they're all yelling at him south to drop off. You know, it's, 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 it's a whole big thing, which comes back and pays dividends later in the film. When Jack is the one deal. Yeah, I have to say, if anybody has small kids and has dropped them off at school, how true to life this scene is. Because, totally. Yeah, there's absolutely a uh, structure of how you are supposed to drop kids off. And there's the, an etiquette. Yeah, and there's the Nazi moms enforcing it. Yeah. And I'm, I was always so terrified because I saw this movie, so I've been through this before. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. and Jack screws it up. He goes the wrong way. He's got a mom yelling at him. She's like, "South to drop off, moron." <laughs> Right, right. Yep. So that's the, that's the first thing. Yeah, I have to say this scene has influenced my life quite a bit, though. I mean, I saw this movie in <laughs> 1983. It's now 2019. That's what, 36 years later. I uh-huh. still reference this scene at least once a week. When, do you yell it to the other moms and dads? No, because whenever I do something that's <laughs> unexpected, I mean, I do yell at moms and dads randomly. I just like doing that because I have the Tourette's. But, yeah. but if I ever do something that's unexpected, and I'm kind of a free spirit. I don't follow rules. I just do things my own mm-hmm. way. And if anybody ever calls me out on it, why are you doing it that way? I will always say, oh, this is the Jack Butler method. Yes, yes, the Jack Butler method. For 36 years, I've been quoting that because that's a Michael Keaton, I think an ad lib where... The kid's like, you're going the wrong way, you're driving the wrong way. And he's like, no, this is the Jack Butler method. Right. Now, wait, did we skip the part where um, Martin Mull uh, picks up Carolyn in the limo for her first day? Oh, that's uh, that's coming up. That's the next scene. We'll get okay, there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm keeping you away from your second crush, Martin Mull, here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you could tell. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm going out of order. That's the Jack Butler method of running this podcast. <laughs> I have notes. Come on. No, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) 
Thank you for setting me up for that one. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> All right, good. Okay, so Jack is struggling his first day at school, not knowing the pickup times and the drop-off etiquette. And now we go oh. to Carolyn's first day with, uh, <laughs> why don't you explain the, the world she has been thrown into? So, um, well, first, first of all, she gets picked up by him the first day by, what is his name? Uh, Martin Ma- R- Richardson. Yeah, Ron. 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 Um, she gets picked up by Ron and he's all kinds of handsy with her. Like it's, it's, it's just not there. There's no way. One thing about eighties, it wasn't, um, subtle <laughs> movies. The stuff in the movies were not subtle. You knew right away that, you know, he had designs on Carolyn. And, um, that was when Jack came out with the chainsaw. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You're, you're jumping way ahead. I'm jumping. Okay. Yeah. We, right, we got to go through Jack at the supermarket first. There's, Oh God. All right. All right. So, so, so you, you lead it. Yeah. I'll do it right. oh god yeah but uh, i will say in your in in what you were just brought up there that that ron richardson is very handsy with uh carolyn (laughs) there's a there's a kind of a feminist criticism of this movie that the end of the movie carolyn goes back to being a housewife and jack goes back to being a boss and i Mm -hmm. think you can kind of rebut that a little bit because i don't think it's necessarily Mm -hmm. an anti-feminist ending i think she just is so fed up with this culture that she's in with ron and he's being a creep that she just, I've proven my point and I could quit. I don't want to be around these creeps anymore. So I don't necessarily right. think it's, she goes back to being a housewife. I just think she'd think this is a world is, is crap and she doesn't want to be a part of it. I agree. I agree. I, I don't think it's anti-feminist at all. I've just read that that's what some people think. Yeah. I don't think that, Mario. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Leanne. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's the the thing that Carolyn has been thrown into an advertising campaign for Schooner Tuna, which is apparently mm-hmm. the the cornerstone of this entire marketing agency. I don't know how Tuna would be your your brand name, your biggest name customer, but okay. Right. So anyway, there that's Carolyn. She her problem. She is a housewife. She's been doing raising a family and buying groceries all these years, and she's being thrown into the head of a marketing campaign. Because, indeed, of what her background is. I do this for a living. I'm the American consumer. That's why she's being put on this campaign. And she's like, none of these people in advertising have ever been in a supermarket before. That's the problem. And then we immediately cut to Jack going to the supermarket for the first time, which is another big standout scene from this movie. Totally. Yes. That's probably um, the standout scene. Yeah, so uh, clean up on aisle nine, Irv. Like they, they're he trashes everything. He loses his kid. Uh, what else happened? I've never personally lost my kid at the supermarket. Again, it was at a laser tag arena, not in the supermarket. <laughs> but I will say that when I would go shopping with my wife, you know, when she was a stay-at-home mom, and every so often I go to her to the store with her, she'd always say she hated when I was there because I messed up her system. She's like, right. I know where everything is. I can get in and out of here in 15 minutes. You mess me up when you're here because you 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 browse and you wander off. So right, 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 right. So yeah, so people who shop for a living are very good at this, and Jack is not very good at this. Jack is not very good at it. Um, yeah, he he gets confused. They knock things over everywhere they go. He loses his kid, and then he has to get the Kotex. <laughs> yes. And, you know, he sees it on the list. He's mortified. He goes and picks it up and he goes to the checkout person who is Edie McClurg, one of our favorites. (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, she loudly announces his Kotex purchase to the entire store. And he's again, the the height of embarrassment for an 80s male. You're buying maxi pads. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) Well, and, and also she announces 
every item that he buys. And I, I cannot recall that ever happening to me. Oh, tomatoes and um, steak and Kotex, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like when I get the supermarket checker who's basically Robin Williams. She's riffing on my purchases. Right, yeah. <laughs> but this this is kind of an iconic scene in the movie that this gets referenced all the time where Jack is constantly, he does something or his kids do something and they make a mess in the supermarket. And you just hear in the background, Irv, clean up on aisle four. Mm-hmm. And again, I will say that's now 36 years later and I cannot see a mess in a supermarket without immediately thinking, Irv, clean up on aisle four. Right. Irv, clean up on produce. Yeah. Yep. Oh, there's, there's one little moment in this scene that I always liked where, Michael Keaton loses his kid and there's some strange other kid in his cart. And so he picks up this other kid. And he's walking around the store trying to find, you know, whose parent, who yeah. who's the kid this is. And it's like a total ad lib here where the kid's whining and Michael Keaton's like, here, eat this. And he gives him a package of like raw spaghetti. Like the kid's <laughs> going to start gnawing on the spaghetti, which I just like that little ad lib. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and then he runs into Joan. Yes. Who is shopping in, a very tight, low-cut red dress and heels, as one does. Explain to people who Joan is who have never seen this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Joan is the neighbor um, who, well... The hot neighbor. Yes, very hot, very sexy, uh, in especially in that 80s kind of way. And obviously she, she flirts with Jack right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she tells him... Carolyn told me that, you know, you were going to need some help. We're here for whatever you need. And, you know, all suggestive. And that comes back. She is the hot to trot housewife neighbor who has had designs on Jack for a while. And now that Carolyn's out of the picture, she's moving in. This is Ann Jillian moving in on Michael Keaton. Ann Jillian, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. So we're going to get to the scene that you were talking about. One of another famous. There's really about five really famous scenes in this movie. So Carolyn's had her first day at work, and she impressed everyone that she knew about tuna and knew how it affected the American housewife. And she is being flown off to uh, where? Are the, where are they going? They're flying off to the tuna factory or something to meet the president of Schooner Tuna because she's like the secret weapon. And so yeah, but that Mario, you're getting ahead of us. <laughs> Mario, is there a Mario here? I'm not aware of that. <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Okay, well, how am I getting ahead? We're now, jumping. We're jumping a little bit. That doesn't happen yet. No, see, uh, I'm going to disagree with you, my friend. <laughs> There's two trips. She does the one trip to the tuna factory, then she does one trip to the super, to the com- making the commercial later. Oh, okay. So this is the first trip, and it's like literally her second day on the job where she's being flown to some tuna factory. And this is the limo scene you were talking about. Uh, okay, all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, so this is the scene you talked about where Ron comes to pick her up and Jack gets to meet Ron for the first time, his male rival for his wife's attention. And, and yes. like the limo pulls up and Martin Mole comes out. He's all dressed in a big old suit. And... Gene Parmesan, how you doing? And Jack's like in a bathrobe. He's like, oh, shit. Like, I can't see this guy in a bathrobe. So he comes out. What is he? He, he dresses up like a with a chainsaw and overalls like yeah, he's a big handyman. Yeah, so well, explain this scene. This is one of the, the more iconic scenes in this movie, I think. Well, he comes down with the chainsaw and the goggles, um, at, running the chainsaw as he walks in the front door. Does he first offer him a beer? Yes. He's like, hey, Ron, want a beer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seven o'clock in the morning. 
And then what is it? Bourbon then yeah, or scotch? scotch? What about scotch? Yeah. So Jack is just trying to outman Ron Richards and is like trying to act like he's a real tough guy. And this is where, this is the quote. And I have to I have to admit to this. Now, there's a very subtle, hilarious joke here that you only get if you know home construction. Right. And I should point out, I know nothing about home construction. I am a computer programmer, and all I know are movie shows, TV shows, or movies, TV shows, and baseball trivia. So I know nothing about home <laughs> construction. So this joke went over my head for like 30 years. Right. Okay, so Michael Keaton comes in, and he says, yeah, you know, I'm building all this stuff, and i got to rewire the house. And Ron Richards is like, you going to make it all 220? And Jack has no idea what that means. And I, as a kid, I have no idea what this means. And so Michael Keaton's just kind of riffing. He's like, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to make it 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> and for for years, I would have older guys. Like, I'd work with coworkers that were guys that were older than me. And they'd all talk about that, how that was the funniest line in a movie ever. Right. And I had no clue what they were talking about. Can you explain that to people? Are you aware of what this means? No. <laughs> I never got it either. And I know that it's one of the one of the most popular lines. They say that electricians quote it all the time. Yeah, it's it's like the electrician quote of all time. So apparently there's standard voltage in a house is two twenty. Right. And so that's what Martin Mole's asking. You're gonna make it standard voltage. And Jack has no idea, so he's like, You're gonna make it two twenty? Jack's like, uh yeah, two twenty, two twenty one, whatever. So <laughs> Whatever it's yeah, like. handyman, uh, electricians, all these contractors think that's the greatest movie quote ever. And as a kid, I didn't get it. No. Mm -mm. No. I didn't get it either. Okay. Although what people forget is there's a callback to that quote later in the movie. Yes. Yeah, okay, we're going to get to that. That'll be fun. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, though, as um, as they're leaving, Jack says, if you call and I'm not here, I'm at the gym or at the gun club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a really underrated funny line as well. Like just at the gym or the gun club. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Keaton was not going to the gym too much, I'm guessing. No, not then. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's see. So, yeah, Ron Richards flies off with Carolyn. They go to the tuna factory. Like you said, he's all over her. He's, like, all handsy, and he's, like, the ultimate. He, he Jeffrey Tambors her, basically. Yeah, he's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey Tambors are all over the place. Yes. But also, there's a, there, the first boardroom scene, just to go back a little bit, I know I'm not doing it right, but um, they're all smoking. Like, there's so much smoke. And the two women who aren't Carolyn are so severe mm -hmm. and unsmiling and unfriendly. And that was, like, very typical 80s-type movie, too. And Carolyn starts cleaning up the table at the first thing, mm -hmm. and Ron says, we have people to do that. And then she starts cutting a steak on the plane. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was cute. Yeah, he, she's talking to her boss, and she's cutting a steak because she's used to doing that yeah. for her kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so so everything is topsy-turvy in the butler house now, and now we get the big montage. And this was right. the scene that I loved the most when I was a kid, the scene with where everything goes wrong on the same day for Jack. And so I'll just kind of set it up and I'll let you give the details where everything's going to happen at once on one day where Jack is doing all the chores. The kids are home. Like there's a bunch of repairmen all arriving at the same day. Three. Three. Three come at the same time. <laughs> yeah, a lot of shit's going down to this house. You got three repairmen the same day. You got the TV repair. You got the, what, the plumber, the exterminator. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so what happens? Everything will go wrong and this is the aforementioned Jaws scene that these nine-year-olds around me loved as a kid. This is the scene. Right. The, so the vacuum cleaner is Jaws, and it is a self-propelling thing that just 
chases everybody around around the house, basically. I mean, it's an out of control vacuum from like 1950 as well. Yeah, it's old. And, and it, yeah. Um, did you think it was really funny the first time you saw it? I loved it. When I was nine, this is the highest of comedy. I would put the Jaws scene in this and then maybe like Monty Python under that. because <laughs> It couldn't possibly compete with Jaws. Yeah, I thought this was the greatest scene ever when I was a kid. So this was going on. The exterminator's there. The TV repair woman is there. The washer repair guy is there. And everything's like just over the top failing. Yeah. Um, and then and this is also when... They all ran because the famous line, you you let your baby eat chili. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple really good laughs in this scene. And, and there's one in particular that's a very underrated one. Everybody remembers Jaws. Everybody remembers you fed the baby chili. But the scene starts with Jack not really knowing what to do. So he just sends his son down to cook lunch. And his son just dumps a pot of chili and just starts stirring it until it burns and sets up the smoke alarm. <laughs> but there's a great scene where the dad comes up to the kid. He's like, what are you making for lunch? And the kid's like, chili. And the and dad and dad's like, hey, where's mom keep the vacuum? And the kid's like, you mean Jaws? And he's right. like, mom calls the vacuum Jaws? And the kid points to the Jaws with the, the spoon with the chili all over it. And you just hear chili going splattering across the wall, which uh, even to this day, that still makes me laugh. It's just a little <laughs> uh, like an audio joke. You just hear the chili splatter. <laughs> yeah, so everything goes wrong. The washing machine gets mm-hmm. overloaded. The smoke mm-hmm. detector gets set off. The the, mm-hmm. the baby ends up with a can of chili, which you do not feed a eight-year-old eight yeah. <laughs> because they will basically become a, a shit bomb. Right. <laughs> yes. But it's a great scene, and then the vacuum starts attacking the kids, and Jack has to fight off the vacuum. And just, again, this is the scene when I was a kid why I would love this movie. This is all nine year old humor right here. Um, this isn't the same. This isn't where he microwaves the socks yet, right? No, that's later. Yeah, he's he's going to microwave socks. He's going to attack a popcorn machine with a sword, all sorts of chaos. But yeah, this is. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, it's sitcom material right here. Okay, so. Here we go. So everything's going good. Carolyn's got her job. She comes home from her trip and everyone's asleep. And there's a couple cute scenes here where Jack is interviewing for a job. But instead of interviewing for the job, he and the other dads just share recipes because they've all been house husbands for a while. <laughs> Can you use margarine instead of butter? Yeah. <laughs> I always like that scene. Yeah, I know. It's a great scene. And then we get another big scene. I, I kind of forgot how many iconic scenes are in this movie, but right. the Olympiad scene here. Is that now? That's now, yeah. <laughs> We're at the end of page okay. two on my notes. I'm excited. We're getting... <laughs> yeah. Next up, so there's a big party. So Carolyn, her first day, she wows everybody. The second day, she gets promoted and flies to the tuna factory. <laughs> I think we're on like day five now, and now there's a big party at the boss's house. Right. And they go there, and Jack's all, you know, emasculated because he's like got the diaper bag with him, and he doesn't want to be seen as a, as a house husband around all these other guys. And this is where we find out that the boss has a little Olympiad, like a little, uh, what's it called? It's called yeah. the Richardson Corporate Olympics. <laughs> and Jack's making fun of the house on the way in and just, you know, oh, it's a hand-me-down. <laughs> so the Olympiad, I'll let, I'll let you walk people through this, but I'll do the setup. No, don't, you do it. You do it. Oh, look at that. You're handing it. Okay. You're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> so the Olympiad, it's basically a thing for all the people at the company and all the husbands of the people at the company have this little, it's like a little uh, Olympiad is the best way I can describe it. You have to do all these events and they compete and, and Jack gets talked into it because Ron has no respect for Jack. Ron's like, well, you could just watch with all the other wives. 
<laughs> Jack's like, all right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in this. I'm gonna beat this guy. And so Michael Keaton gets suckered into being in the, and he is told before the, the the Olympiad starts that you know you can't beat the boss. This is his event at his house. Do not right. even try to beat the boss. So he realizes he's gonna have to take a dive. So it's it's really kind of a funny scene. They have to go through all these events like what they run with flippers on their feet. Flippers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have to go through a little play tunnel and do go ride on tricycles. It's really silly scene, but Jack is winning and all the other employees are like trying. You can't win. Yeah, they're like grabbing him. It's like full contact yeah. little children in a play, like a play tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, Jack is going to win. It's really funny. They play like this Chariots of Fire music and, and, they, and Jack is going to win at the end, but then just before he was going to win, he takes a dive to protect his wife because he's been told, you know, they'll take it out on your wife if you win. So it's it's kind of a neat little moment. They meet eyes and she knows he threw it for him. For her. That's what people will do for Terry Gar. She's like Helen of Troy. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my God, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would totally throw an Olympiad on tricycles just for her. <laughs> Against Ron Richardson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, wow, we're we're almost an hour into this podcast. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. So here we go. So now we get to the part. Like when I was a kid, I loved the first half of this movie, but then it kind of gets serious for a while. And this is the part that always bored me when I was a kid. Although, mm -hmm. now that I'm older, I, I appreciate the artistry of it a little more. The Jack Butler soap opera phase. Right, yeah, with the young and the restless. All right, set this one up. I'll give you, I'll give you the honor, because you, you've probably watched more soap operas than I have in my lifetime. Well, <laughs> so it starts out, he's, the soap opera's always in the background. And um, he starts out, and he's sitting down watching it a little bit, and he says, you know, how do people watch this? This is ridiculous. And then, you know, next scene, he's talking to Joan about, you know, who killed this guy. And he starts getting really, really into it. He brings the TV everywhere he goes. And Young and Restless becomes a big part of his life. And, you know, the kids are talking about it all. The, and I, I always wondered why the kids were home during it. <laughs> yeah. But that's another thing. Yeah, the kids seem to have an intermittent school schedule. <laughs> They go to school once, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, right, with the drop-off and the pickup. But, uh, but yeah, so, so you know, he's watching soap operas. and. Well, this is where, yeah, this is where you get the, him microwaving the socks and him just putting popcorn in the popcorn machine for lunch because this is, this is basically what Jack's life has turned into, the drudgery of being a house husband. Right. All he has is chores, kids, and soap operas. Right, and and he's fixated on them. So when the kids come to bother him, like he microwaves socks. But like you said, he um, Alex comes and says, "My grilled cheese isn't melted," and he irons it. Mm -hmm. And then he staples the whoopee because yes. the whoopee's ripped. Like it's just the whoopee. The security blanket is torn, and Jack's only move is yeah, to staple he staples it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jack is his life is going slowly downhill. He's turning into the desperation of the modern housewife here. Where he has nothing to really to look forward to. It's just drudgery. And he starts growing a beard and he gets all fat. Right. And he like He wears the same flannel shirt all the time. You know what's funny is that I have a job where I work from home where it's like literally just me at home all day with no social interaction. And Do you wear the same flannel shirt? I swear to God I've worn the same shirt like five days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get this part. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and then they have the card game. Jack has all the the all the girls in the neighborhood over for the weekend card game where they bet coupons. Right. Yep. They they bet coupons, and this is where Carolyn uh, they're playing they're playing coupon poker, and Ter and um, Joan has a really low cut 
blouse on like she always does and she's suggestively leaning over to show Jack her cards you know is this good you know does this look good and Carolyn sees him through the window I gotta say leaning over in front of a guy asking to look at your cards that's a good move for a woman (laughs) very effective (laughs) yeah (laughs) I guess it would be yeah if you're a house husband yeah that's that would be a good move Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah so she cut yeah, she comes home and she sees it, and that's when they get into it about, um, you know, Jack being fat and wearing the same shirt and his beard and, you know. Jack has given up on life, basically, and this is where you get this. It's actually, there's a couple dramatic scenes in this movie, and this is one of them where Carolyn's like, you're giving up, and Jack's like, you don't know what it's like. My brain's oatmeal. I got nothing to look forward to. It's drudgery. And she's like, I did this for eight years. Like, how? what do you think my life was like? And again, I've heard that argument from my wife when she was a stay-at-home right. mom. She's like, you don't understand how hard this is. Like, the drudgery, there's nothing to look forward to. So there actually are some good points being raised in this scene. Definitely. And he takes his stuff and he goes and sleeps on the couch and, you know, it's, yeah, things are not looking good. And then he gets murdered. (laughs) Right. He has the, he has the young and the restless dream. Yep. Gets murdered. Um, Let's talk about that for a second here. Okay. This is the scene I kind of forgot was in this movie. And again, as a kid, I was like, why did this movie take the strange turn here? But I can appreciate the artistry of it a little more where, yeah, Jack, basically his life has become a soap opera. And he has this this dream where Joan comes over and tries to sleep with him and he's going to make out with her. And then Carolyn comes home and she pulls out a gun and like she shoots him and he sees his whole life flash before him. And it's very artsy fartsy for a movie like this. But it's, it's kind of funny when you watch it now in retrospect. And then the line is, what did you shoot him with, Uh, 22? No, here it is. Okay, yeah. This is the callback. There's the 220, 221 line earlier, but everyone forgets about the second one where Terry Garr has shot uh, Michael Keaton and uh, Martin Mole says, what did you shoot him with, a 38? And she's like, 38, 39, whatever it took. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Although we do get to see Anne Gillian in short red lingerie, which I am in favor of which was very um, impacting for a lot of people. I forgot about my crush on Terry Garr for about five seconds there. <laughs> right, in that scene. Yeah, it's, it's a tough call at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that moment it was a tough call. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, all this is a dream. Jack was not murdered. And now we get the Rocky montage that I'm sure you were yes. thrilled to see where Jack's back. He realized he has given up on life, and so he goes through this whole little gonna fly now montage set to the Rocky music where he becomes Jack Butler again. He shaves, he starts an exercise class, he paints the fence and, you know, masters Jaws. (laughs) Yeah, he like builds a remote. He builds a remote control for Jaws. Yeah. (laughs) Throws the flannel in the fire and makes a deal. Kenny is the kid's name? Uh, Whoopi Kid? Kenny is the older one, yeah. Okay. So he makes a deal to give up Whoopi? Yeah, it's a big, it's a real nice scene where he talks his son into giving up the whoopee. And I will say, I will flat out admit, I had a security blanket as a kid. My, you know, is my fringy, and I hate to admit that, but I'm just honest with my listeners here. Of course. And my mom, quote unquote, lost my fringy when I was about eight. We don't know where it had, where it went, so I just somehow lost it. So anyway, my mom turned on me. <laughs> <laughs> Where's fringy now? I, I have no idea. In my hand. <laughs> what, you took it? No, in your hand. No, it's not. <laughs> I was horrified if you had my fringy. <laughs> you took it. 
but there's also a scene where Jack has now become the school crossing guard. That he has learned the system that now he can he can he can uh, mentor the new mommies. Drop off to the south, and he's telling everyone. And then and then there's the scene where they make dinner, and they're, they're sitting there at the table with the dinner. But this time it's him, and she doesn't. She she doesn't come home. Yeah, this is Act Three. Jack has gotten his act together. He's figured out how to be Mister Mom. He's got his manhood back, his self esteem. Mm-hmm. But now he has no wife. Carolyn is right. so busy with work, and uh, she's making this pitch to the the president of Schooner Tuna, which is like the biggest thing, and she's trying to secure this eleven million dollar account. And so he makes this romantic dinner, and she never shows up. So now it's really going to be Carolyn's story for a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah, and she's at at the meeting for Schooner Tuner, and you know that she's the last hope. They don't like any of the ideas, so hopefully she can come up with something. Yeah. So she goes in and she gives her pitch, and the tuna with the heart. Yeah. What is, what is her pitch? Can you explain that to people? Because I've kind of forgotten this part. Um, she just she pitches that people really don't want um gimmicky things like you gave you gave these glasses and these lays and all these other things but what people really want or people really need is a price cut so she suggested that they cut the price and then raise it you know when the recession was over or whatever so she she knocks it out of the park and 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 the boss of schooner tuner says where have you been hiding this little girl (laughs) yeah it's a good it's a good pitch the housewife pitch yeah you know everyone's in a recession right now because Again, it's again a time. This movie is a time capsule. That's what Detroit was in the '80s. Everybody is hurting and losing their jobs. So she says, "Lower your price for now. Let the consumer and the housewives know you're with them on this, and then you'll raise the prices back later." And just we're the we're the tuna company with a heart, and that he's never heard a pitch like this. Right. Yeah. So this is yeah. Yeah, the third act of the movie here, this is the big scene where Carolyn is now going to fly out to California to shoot this big commercial with tuna, with Schooner Tuna, and she has to abandon her family on Halloween, and it's a big... Uh, mm-hmm. Right in the middle of Halloween. <laughs> like, they have to fly off immediately. <laughs> that night, yeah, it's Halloween night. To, yeah, that night, to make to make a movie in L.A. that's a guy standing behind a gray screen. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. So this is kind of the the setting point for the last part of the movie where she mm-hmm. has to leave her kids on Halloween and Jack's like, don't you want to be here for this? And she's like, well, this is very important. I need to do this for my career. And he's like, but you're missing all this stuff with your kids. Like they're going to grow up and they're not going to do Halloween anymore. And your daughter has two new teeth. You didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like my wife, my wife has made that argument to me before. Right. Like that was you're why, missing things. Well, yeah, she would like, you know, the kids are only going to be young for a certain amount of years. So you want to be there for these moments because at a certain age, they won't want to do trick or treating and stuff like that. So you want to be there for those. So right. Carolyn has now done the complete flip where she has become the absentee parent where she's missing her kids. All right. So let's see. So Carolyn flies off to L.A. and she's missing out. And she's starting to regret the fact that she's now got a career. And Jack is interviewing for his job back. And there's only about, you know, 15, 20 minutes left in the movie. Right. And this is where Jeffrey Tambor comes back in the picture and tries to hire him back, which is what you want. You want you want George or Oscar, I'm not sure which one of the Bluth brothers it is, to hire you again. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because what could go wrong with that? <laughs> Welcome back, Podner. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Uh, so uh, Tambor tries to hire Jack back, and it's this whole big convoluted scene where it turns out that Tambor has been cooking the books and like was very uh, 
corrupt and like he got all these his friends fired and so jack kind of confronts him and jack's like look i was a good employee i worked for this company i worked my butt off we kept the costs low we kept production up i deserve my my job back i don't know what this guy this a-hole tambor is saying but i need my job back so he kind of stands up for himself mm-hmm. and then uh what is that there's a then we go to Carolyn. Okay, we'll get to the end of the movie here where Carolyn is in Los Angeles shooting a commercial and things are going to go from really good to really bad for her in a, in a heartbeat here. So she, so um, Ron asks her to dinner and she turns him down. Um, and she says, I'm just going to go relax and take a bath. She goes to her hotel room, takes a bath, and he comes in. And, of course, Jack calls, or the kid calls, right? Mm-hmm. And... and um, Ron answers the phone. Yeah. The boss answers the phone in her hotel room. Bad sign. Right. (laughs) Never good. Yeah. This is the one time when Gene Parmesan shows up in your room, you don't like it. Right. Not funny. That isn't funny. (laughs) This is where I insert Lucille Bluth screaming in horror. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, um, and then Caroline, um, what I don't they start fighting right basically she's saying no get out of here he's telling her to leave her husband and go with him and um you're so cute when you're mad and she clocks him yeah and this is the old trope the boss and Mr. Hansy you know Feely McGee Mr. Hansy Hansy mm-hmm. all over her and she stands up for herself she's like get out of her room and she pops him in the nose and Martin right. Mull goes flying over the couch. So that's Carolyn basically realizing, I don't want to be in this world anymore. It's creepy. I'm just a piece of meat. Like, I've proven my point. I got them this huge contract. I don't need this crap anymore. So she lays out Martin Mull. And at the same time, Jack is now being, got the full court press on him from Annette, or from a Joan. And Jillian is on top of him. So it's basically all about infidelity, the last 20 minutes of the movie where... Right, and and fighting off the infidelity and the fact that they loved each other and wanted to be together. Yes, although there is a scene that I'm surprised you're passing over because I'm sure you liked it where <laughs> Michael Keaton is taken to the male strip club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so did you enjoy that, Leanne? Was that a good scene for you? You know, it was a, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I just remember being really pissed at... Um, uh, really pissed at Joan for not leaving him alone at the time when I first saw it. Uh-huh. So I didn't, I didn't like that scene as much as I might have. So would you say the strippers weren't doing it right? They weren't doing it right. Definitely not. <laughs> they were. Do- they liked Jack too more than they liked the women. So yeah, what was up with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You've got a club full of hot women and they're all focused on Michael Keaton, all these guys. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you be? I would have been. I'm not going to answer that. I don't care if you are my therapist. We're not going to answer that one. (laughs) Okay. So here we go to the last scene of the movie where Carolyn is knocked out her boss and Jack is getting pursued by Joe and hardcore and everyone is going to converge on the house back at the, and it's basically like that chore scene, the chore montage earlier. It's that scene all over again. Everyone's in the house at one time and chaos is going on. And what happens here? Carolyn discovers that Joan is in her bedroom trying to hit on Jack. Yeah. And does she punch out Joan? I, I, I feel like we didn't she see doesn't. it. We didn't see it, but she probably did. She probably did. I like to think she did. I like to imagine there was a scene where Terry Gar and Angelina were catfighting. <laughs> Had a pillow fight? Yeah, I kind, I kind of, I, in my director's cut in my head, there's that wrestling. scene. Yeah, they were wrestling. <laughs> Clothes were coming off. It was a good scene. But they had to cut it. They cut it for the PG movie. But yeah, so Carolyn chases off our Joan, and, and uh, there's a funny scene where Michael Keaton's in the shower. He's debating if he's going to go out and sleep with Joan or not. 
Right. And he's got like the pros and cons, like A through Z. And some, I kind of forgot some of them, but it, I always get the sense he's kind of improvising in this scene too. Yeah, the, it's, the scene feels like it goes on forever. Yeah. And then he goes out and he says, Joan. And she says, Jack. And he says, Carolyn. And then, wait, and then everybody comes downstairs too, right? Jinx comes and Jeffrey Tambor shows up. Yeah, the whole movie ends in a big scrum. It's a big scrum or argument down at the front door where <laughs> Martin Mole shows up and he's got a he's got a bandage on a nose from where Carolyn hit him. Jeffrey Tambor shows up and Michael Keaton punches him. Yeah. So that's a good one. So George one Bluth punch. goes down. Yeah, one punch and the kid's all excited. Wow, one punch. Dad knocked out Jeffrey Tambor. And it's like this big <laughs> chaos where ja- that damn time. Yeah. Jack is being rehired for his job and he's renegotiating and we find out Carolyn quit her job. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh yeah, so it, at the end of the movie, Jack and Carolyn are back together. They've made up their differences. They never cheated. They never strayed with any of the right. other people. And here's the prob- the the thing that people tend to have a problem with this movie nowadays is that Carolyn goes back to being a housewife and Jack's going to go back to being an auto worker and everything's going to go back to before and it's like a happy ending. And that's the thing that some people tend to have a problem with. Um, yeah, I, I never had a problem with that. I liked it. Yeah, I've heard the phrase, the word misogynistic. I'll see that in a couple reviews, and it's it's modern reviews. Like, you wouldn't have seen that in a 1983 review. It's like a 2019 review. They'll say the ending right. is misogynistic. And I will say this in the nicest possible terms, that 2019 critique can fuck right off because it has no business judging a <laughs> 1983 movie. Like, this was seen as a very feminist movie, a very equal, equal progressive movie in 83 because she went out and she succeeded and she realized she didn't want this. Like, I, this world sucks. I don't want to be out here with these creeps. So, I mean, that's my argument. But So, what are your thoughts on all that? I think you said you don't really see it that way. I don't really see it that way. I never did. And like I said, when I first rewatched it, preparing for this, I thought maybe it just didn't um, hold up as well as I remembered. And I know you don't like that, but that that's kind of how it felt. Like I don't, I remembered it being a lot more charming and funny. But I watched it two more times, and it, 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 it you know, I could watch it again right now. I, I just see all of the how awesome Michael Keaton was and Terry Gar, and you know, they were at their at the height of their awesomeness. Mm-hmm. They really were. Um, and the movie itself is just cute and sweet. It's very John Hughes. It is, and I, you know, it's it's very much a product of the eighties. Yeah, and I love the eighties, so it's a sweet movie. And I should point out the ending is not as cut and dry as we made it sound. Like this, if you listen to the dialogue at the end, it's not a hundred percent decided that Carolyn's going to stay home and Jack's going to go out to the to work. Right. Like there's a they're negotiating. One of the guys says he's telling Martin Mull. What about if she can work at home two days a week and and in the office three days a week? Like they're proposing alternatives, and even though like it, it's implied that she's going to stay home with the kids, that's not actually how the movie ends. That's not a very accurate reading of it. They, you get the sense they're going to find some way to make this work where they both get to, to home with the kids. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the point is that these people want them on their own merits and and are willing to compromise to have them come back. Jack gets offered a car, he gets offered more money, he gets offered all this other stuff. And Carolyn, like you said, she gets offered to work less days and all of it really is um yeah, it's not it's not cut and dry and and they're wanted on their own merits. Yeah. 
I mean, one could say it's kind of a cop-out ending because they don't really define how it's going to end. But it's again, it's I, I don't agree with a lot of the criticism. This movie doesn't age well in that regard. Like, there's some things I th- don't think age well. Just it's like a sitcom. It's a sitcom. It's sitcommy. Right. It was originally supposed to be a sitcom. Yeah, that's interesting. We didn't talk about that. That this was originally written as a script for a sitcom, and they mm-hmm. eventually just toned it down and tightened it up into a movie. But it, that's why it feels like a sitcom because that's what it was supposed to be. Right. And John Hughes, it was, an, it was supposed to be an Aaron Spelling sitcom, which you could see, kind of. But John Hughes refused to leave Chicago and go to L.A. And so he got fired, and that's how he ended up writing, and also how he ended up not directing this movie, because he wouldn't go to L.A. I just read that. Yeah, I just read that today. That's interesting for people who might not know that. That Yeah, John Hughes, this is his script, and it was based on a time when he was forced to stay home with the kids because he was unemployed and his wife needed to go out and raise money or make money, so he needed to stay home. And it was based on his hapless experiences of how bad he was. And so right. he wrote the script and sold it, and then they fired him. Like, they wouldn't let him right. stay on the project because he was based in Chicago, and they wanted him in L.A. And they're like, well, if you're not going to come out here, we're just going to buy your script and rewrite it. So it was kind of toned down and made more sitcommy and more slapsticky. Mm-hmm. But apparently the original script was way funnier and way – like, it was just a lot smarter than it ended up being. Right, right, yep. And then they did end up making a, a – they had a, there was a sitcom for a while, right? And it sucked. <laughs> I read that. I've <laughs> never heard of any existence of it ever existing, so I don't know yeah, anything about it. You didn't watch it weekly or anything? No. <laughs> now, what, now, what if Stallone had been in it? Would you have watched it? Totally. I would have watched anything that he was in at that time. <laughs> anything. Except for Adrian. Fuck Adrian. I. <laughs> I <laughs> she's the worst. She's the worst. She's yeah. the worst. Like, how did he even know that she was attractive or could speak? Well, he'd been punched in the head a lot. That's why. Okay, but still, there's no way. way. A little rocky bonus content here in our Mr. Mom podcast. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, well, one thing that I I like about this movie, I kind of didn't catch it until I was watching it this last part, is where at the end of the movie, Jack and Carolyn get back together, and they've both got their self-esteem and their pride and their, you know, they know who they are now, and they're all happy. And renewed love. Yes, and everything has been back to normal. It's a great happy ending. But over, over the shot of them reconciling, you hear the actual commercial that Carolyn has produced, the Schooner Tuna commercial. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, you know, how in these trying, difficult times, we all need to, you know, pitch in and do something a little different. And then when times go back to normal, we'll go back to our regular prices. Oh. And it's really interesting how that parallels the plot of the movie. Like, that's what the whole point of the movie is that Detroit in the 80s was a rough time to live and everyone has to you know pitch in a little different do things differently and then we'll go back to normal when things are normal again and that's kind of the reality of what it would have been like in that city at that point so I thought that was kind of interesting yes very much so yeah good good catch I didn't catch that that's right that's my my scholarly dissertation right there on this movie that's good (laughs) I like it so, Leanne, you have officially made it through your first Staff Picks episode. Are you happy? <laughs> yes, I am. It's fun. You did it right, I will say. I'll give you the ultimate compliment. You did it the Leanne Lindsley way, which is the uh, the Lindley, Leanne Lindsley method, which was right. Are you sure? There were parts I didn't do right. Well, I'm going to edit parts in later that make you sound better. <laughs> I'm going to take out the, that stupid Adrian parts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm totally going to fast track this Rocky podcast now just so you can bash Adrian. We have to. Uh, there's, I have so much material. <laughs> Leanne and I were just shooting emails back and forth the other day making jokes about Adrian and from the Rocky movie. And we, this went on for like 40 minutes. And I'm like, we just did a podcast through emails. Yeah. Adrian's restaurant. Bland. It sucks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Rocky, these oysters, awesome. these oysters in the restaurant are so bad, they're making me not sexual at all. They're like giving me an anti-boner. Well, that's why I call it Adrian's. I named it after her. She gave me you know, the opposite of a boner. <laughs> the anti-boner. Adrian. Ugh. So anyway, to sum up, Mr. Mom, a movie that was one of the biggest things ever in the 80s. Anybody our age knows this movie. This was a seminal part mm -hmm. of the growing up in the 80s. Yes. And just somehow is not remembered with the Ghostbusters and the National Lampoon's Vacation and, you know, the big comedies of the 80s. And it's a shame because it might not be the funniest movie ever, but it really does have a lot of good one-liners and quotes. And again, Michael Keaton. It's one of these days, I'm going to say this, I've said this before, I'm pretty sure, but one day Michael Keaton will die, like in 20 years, and everyone will remember how awesome he was. And they're going to point yeah. to Mr. Mom. So I'm saying appreciate the stuff now before you lose Michael Keaton. That guy has been great in every movie he has ever done. For sure. Mm -hmm. And Terry Garr, my girlfriend. and Yeah. I hope she listens to this. <laughs> I hope so, too. All right. Anything, anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I, there's a lot I want to add, but, that, but we'll save it. All right. Well, thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. And thank you, as always, for being my bodyguard who protects me from all my crazy fans and diagnoses them for me and tells me how to make them go away. Anytime. My pleasure. This was fun. All right. And as always, again, this is Staff Picks. My name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or uh, on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love. And I got a real fun one coming up in a couple in a week or so. We're going to go into Borat, which is that that's going to be a trip. So get ready for that one. And I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Check.